And today, I actually have a special message that I want to give to you in light of the coming presidential election and the season that, of course, we're in uh, as a church. So I have no specific Bible text, although I will sprinkle scripture throughout this teaching. But if you're taking notes, I've got 14 points that I'm going to give to you today. Just some encouragements from this pastor to you as you think about how to process the events of today's world, how to process this election uh, season. You know, of course, as we're all aware, this is a divisive uh, presidential election season. And to be honest with you, as a pastor, I usually just kind of grin and bear these seasons. They're not something that I look forward to. I don't like division. I don't like that kind of hostility. Uh, but I felt that this year there might be some biblical principles that I could hold out to you, Calvary Monterey, that could help you as you navigate uh, these tumultuous times. Just some pastoral counsel for this election. And of course, my aim, as always, is to point you afresh to Jesus and to give you some pillars that can help uh, you navigate these times. So here's my first point that I want to share with you today. Number one, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. What did you think I was going to say? I'm Pastor Nate. This is Jesus famous, what this church is about. Of course, remember the gospel. You see, the great need of humanity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every voter and every believer has opinions about what constitute the primary issues. And of course, as we look around at our society, we understand that there are issues of vital importance that we are voting on in every election, issues that lead to the flourishing of human society. But as believers, we also know that the greatest need of humanity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would remind you of this. No political party has the gospel of Jesus Christ on its agenda, and rightfully so. It's the church's job. It's on our agenda. It's what we're about. So as a result, in remembering the gospel, we should not get too high or too low in response to this election because the ultimate need of the world is the gospel and that is the church's job. Not the governments, not societies, not cultures, but ours. Though heaven and earth pass away, the kingdom of Christ will not. So we must advance the gospel. Number two, reflect on God's sovereignty reflect on God's sovereignty. You know, just take a moment and look back on the pages of Scripture to see the way that God interacted with the nations. You know, he is always portrayed as being in control, steering world events for his ultimate purposes. Kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Artaxerxes and Cyrus were all instruments in God's hands. Israel did not elect any of those leaders, but God elected those leaders. None of them were godly, but they were unwittingly used by God for his purposes. And it's not just a new, an Old Testament concept either. In the New Testament era, Jesus arrived at the perfect stage of world history. His timing fulfilled many of the prophecies found in the Old Testament 
and the setting that the Roman Empire created in the world at that time was perfect. It was difficult for many, but it was perfect for the expansion of the gospel. Paul the Apostle is a great example. He used Roman roads and a Roman citizenship to expand the gospel, bring it to all the nations. And perhaps as we cast our ballots this year, we should remember God's sovereign will, a purpose above our own purposes, and that he is still at work among the nations. Number three, vote your biblical conscience. Vote your biblical conscience. You know, as you interact with the Bible, as you study scripture, your vision of the ideal society is being shaped. Your feelings about what should be are being replaced with the Bible itself, scripture itself. And you need to take those convictions into the ballot box with you. Now, of course, great wisdom is required, but you must vote your biblical conscience. So consider the Bible's teachings on subjects like these. Religious freedom, poverty, racism, evangelism, injustice, the rights of the unborn, marriage, family, the subjugation of the earth, cultivating it for God's glory. Ask God to guide you as you process these issues, different platforms and parties and candidates up and down the ballot. Then go and vote your Bible-saturated conscience. It's an honor to be able to vote. It's a responsibility to be able to vote. It's one way that we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves. So go vote your biblical conscience. Number four, I want to say it like this. If you have to, if you must, grieve and lament. If you must, grieve and lament. You know, I know many Christians have been shocked by the speed of the secularization of America. You know, it seems like an aggressive campaign against God is well underway. You know, it used to be that if you were atheistic in your thinking, you kept that to yourself, but now it's a hostile, uh, aggressive attitude against the believing community quite often. And the upside-down societies described in Romans 1, verse 18 to 32, they've been around forever. They were around in the time that Paul wrote the book of Romans. But some Americans remember a different time in our own history, and the new morality of our time has shocked them. And if that describes you, I want you to remember two things. First, the society described in Romans 1 is God's judgment, but not in the way that we often expect. It's not the judgment of fire or lightning, but the judgment of God giving a society what it wants, the worst thing for it, to get what it desires. Now, over time, that judgment of God will prove the desires and pursuits of that society are lacking and empty. So pray that the gospel will take root when people realize how lacking the new morality is. Second, though, if this describes you, if you're remembering past times where things weren't like they are today, I would encourage you to grieve and lament 
your loss. You know, the change for you has been severe. And often human beings perceive change as loss. So if that describes you, allow yourself to grieve, but then keep going. Don't give up. You, if you're a believer, have something to offer until the end of your days. Be the church. Don't let discouragement overwhelm your heart, but press on in Christ. Number five, thank God for our system of government. Thank God for our system of government. You see, during the election time, we sometimes imagine that we're electing a king that will be able to do whatever he or she wants once they're installed onto their throne. But we have to remember the United States system of government and thank God for it. The president is not a king who rules by edict. Instead, the legislative and judicial branches of government are meant to push back on the executive branch. Though many will regard the new president as the most powerful person in the world, and though the people they appoint to their cabinet will exert their influence, there is a limit to the president's powers. Other government branches will get in their way, challenge their priorities, and decide whether their decisions are constitutional. Now, if your candidate gets elected, that's a frustrating thing. Uh, If your candidate is not elected, It's satisfying that this person can't go as fast as they'd like to. By the founder's design, the president, though extremely influential, should not and will not get their way all the time. And it's just a good thing to thank God for that in the founding documents was a check and balance towards our propensities as human beings. Number six, I want to say it like this, get used to chaos. Get used to chaos. Personally, I don't see the increasing polarization and anger going away anytime soon. You know, we've entrenched ourselves into camps, and our social media habits have only segregated us further from each other. You know, some thought that the social media age would be an age of communication and sharing, sort of a worldwide utopia, but it's become one of hostility and aggression. Sides have been formed, ideologies have been adopted, and the chaos, I believe, is just beginning. The election is not going to end the disruption, but will likely further it. And the church must be the church during this time, for such a time as this. We must be agents of love and grace in a fractured world. And as much as the principalities and powers of darkness have their plans, so does God, I believe, that he is working on a parallel track during a season like this. You know, I was born in 1978, but growing up in a Calvary Chapel church, I heard many stories about the 60s and early 70s, the countercultural revolution that hit America at that time and how tumultuous it was. But during that season, there was this beautiful thing that they dubbed the Jesus Movement, where thousands, millions were coming back to and for the first time giving their lives to Jesus Christ. The principalities and powers had their track, but God had his track. And I legitimately believe that God has his track that he is on today. It might be chaotic on the world stage, but I think that God is working simultaneously to reach into the lives 
of human beings. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to at our live gatherings over the last couple of months who have never been to church in their lives, who for some reason have decided to come. I believe that God is stirring human beings, even using this chaos for his purposes. Believe in this, church. Number seven, this one might be interesting to you. I would say this. I would just advise you, counsel you, to read thoughtful news. To read thoughtful news. Personally, I don't like reading the news if it's free. I prefer paying or subscribing for the news that I read. And my reason for that is simple. If the news that I read makes its money from the amount of web traffic it receives, you know, ad-supported news, then I believe that it's bound to report with a tone that encourages anger, outrage, encourages clicks so that the advertisers will be happy. And also I think that it will favor the less important yet sensational news uh, events of the day. This is clickbaity kind of news. And it focuses on the same stories forever and ever without nuance, and it only further entrenches us. But it gets a lot of traffic. So I prefer paying for the news as a way to decrease. I don't think you can totally eliminate this clickbaity motive, but to decrease it a little bit in the news that I consume. Additionally, I don't want to receive news from my social media feed because I don't want a math equation choosing my news stories for me. So I like to pay for the news and read thoughtful news. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, well, what news do you like to read or listen to, Pastor Nate? And this isn't in the Bible or anything like that, but I find myself continually gravitating back to the Wall Street Journal and The Economist. They contradict each other quite a bit, but they're both thoughtful. They give thoughtful uh, responses to the events of the day, and uh, I like reading them because you have to subscribe to them uh, rather than get them for free. Number eight, hope in Christ's return. Hope in Christ's return. You know, it's popular today. I don't know if you've noticed this at all, but it's popular in Christian circles sometimes to make fun of believers who are looking for the rapture of Jesus. Uh, they'll say that, oh, you believers that think the rapture is coming before the tribulation, you're just looking for a way to escape the chaos. But for me, though I hold those futurist interpretations of prophecy and do believe in a pre-wrath rapture of Jesus' church, I've never thought of my futurist interpretations of Scripture as a way to escape anything. I've believed that trials will come. I've believed that the church will be persecuted. I believe that I'm gonna say things that get me in trouble. I've counted the cost and thought about the times that could come in our nation where things I say from the pulpit are against the law and could throw me in jail as a believer and a pastor. I think the birth pains will be real before the return of Christ. But through it all, though we should not be escapists, we still should be looking forward to Christ's return. He came once and he'll come again. And look, when he came the first time, the principalities and powers, they had their way with him, or at least they thought that, that, that they did. 
But when he comes again, he will have his way with them. And all this rancor and all this ugliness, it will end when Jesus comes. King Jesus will reign supreme over his kingdom. And this is a good and righteous and pure hope. Don't let anyone make fun of you or disillusion you about the coming of Christ. It says in Romans 8, verse 19, that the creation is eagerly longing, anticipating the revealing of the sons of God. That the planet is looking forward to Jesus' return. I, as a Christian, should be looking forward to the return of Christ as well. Number nine, long for Christ among the nations, not a Christian nation. Long for Christ among the nations, rather than longing for a Christian nation. In the Old Testament era, Israel operated as God's nation. They were God's people. They were God's nation, the nation of Israel. They were a light to all the nations on earth, or at least they were supposed to be. Now, though, we're in the New Testament era, and there is no singular nation of God in this era. Today, God is among the nations through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though we should love and honor and pray for and serve our nation, we should not expect a Christian nation on this side of Jesus' coming. And we should long for evangelism to spread on the whole earth. You see, God is moving in beautiful ways in other parts of our world, and we must celebrate this even as American citizens. Every life counts, and every person who surrenders to Christ is cause for celebration. Even if our nation slides from Christ, we must rejoice when seeing God move elsewhere. Number 10, don't demonize. Don't demonize. We have to remember who we are as believers. We're in Christ. We're his representatives here on earth. He lives in us, the spirit of Christ. He wants to help us as we are his ambassadors of reconciliation here on earth. This cannot be done. You cannot be a good ambassador for Jesus if you habitually judge the motives of those on the other side from you. You know, we're meant to be a peaceful, loving, grace-filled people who have the great message of hope for broken people. The gospel is not a message that can be delivered in anger or hostility. Instead, with love, we are to head straight into the unbelieving world with the hope of Christ. You've got to refrain from demonizing people that you disagree with and let God be the judge. Number 11, remember your true citizenship in heaven. Remember your true citizenship in heaven. You know, in New Testament times, there was a city called Philippi. Uh, they were a Roman colony. And what that meant was that their soil, though it was far away from Rome, was considered Roman soil. And if you were a Roman colony, you were proud of the heritage that you had. You were proud of that connection to Rome. But when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, he told them to remember their citizenship is first in heaven. 
Now, this was not his way of encouraging them to reject their Roman citizenship, but it was his way of providing them a path forward to be better citizens than ever before. You see, with an understanding that they served the king of heaven, they would better serve Philippi. Even Paul loved and used his Roman citizenship in light of his heavenly one. You know, for me, I'm honored to be an American citizen. I love the founding ideals and documents of this nation. I think the battle for the right vision of the United States is an important battle that is being waged right now. And I love and honor those who serve this great nation, believing that they are doing it in a way as a hand or instrument of God himself. But the church must remember its first citizenship, the kingdom of heaven. It will help us serve our nation even better. And if our earthly citizenship disappoints, we rejoice that our heavenly citizenship will only improve with time. Number 12, we're getting close to the end here. I want you to love God and your neighbor. Love God and your neighbor. neighbor. Remember, we're, we're called to love God and our neighbor during this tumultuous season. You know, the pull towards division is so strong right now. It's, it's calling every one of us. But we have to work hard to be gospel people who love everybody and emulate Christ. As I said earlier, casting your vote is one way that you can go out and love your neighbor. You are trying to vote in a way that would lead to something good for our society. But then after casting that vote, we have to move forward and continue to love God and man. Neighboring is not easy work and cannot be done for only those in your political camp. Instead, we must love all of humanity as ourselves. Number 13, we have to pray, church. You know, of ancient Israel, God said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's from 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. It's a famous verse about calling out to God, praying, interceding for our nation. And look, if the church doesn't pray, who do we think is going to pray? You know, we're the ones with this great resource that God has given to us. We have to cry out to God for our nation, but also for the church in our nation. The political process, we know this, it cannot solve the ills of our time. The human heart cannot be changed through legislation. Instead, one by one, people must be released from sin, from anger, from unforgiveness, from wrath, from doubt and hatred by interacting with the cross of Jesus Christ. And we've got to pray for that to happen. We've got to pray for revival to occur because people need Jesus. So let's pray. All right, let me give you my last and 14th point today. You guys ready for this? Number 14, live your life. <laughs> live your life. After the election is over, guess what you gotta do? You gotta go on and live your life, the one that God gave you. You must devote yourself to God, and as much as depends on you, live peaceably 
with all people, Romans 12, 18. You gotta take a step back sometimes and look at your own personal daily experience. You know, it will be impacted some way, somehow, by the results of this coming election. But you still have a life to live. The president isn't gonna be with you at your breakfast table telling you how to spend your money or what to do. You've got your life to live. And after a winner is declared, we've gotta go on living in this broken world and applying the gospel's truth to our everyday reality. Through us, Jesus can restore workplaces, he can restore families, he can restore individuals. Through you, the nations can be glad. And as we live our lives for his glory, we must await Christ's return for his people. You know, the word that we used to say back in the day and the word that they said in the first century as a church was the word maranatha. It means come quickly. And so we live our lives with that hope and anticipation. I gotta live this life, but I'm looking forward to the maranatha, to the coming quickly of Jesus Christ. God bless you, church. I know these are difficult times and stressful times to navigate, but keep your head up and be the person that God has called you to be in Christ Jesus.